you know, we came up, we invented a lifestyle disease in this country. And I think it's our responsibility to fix it, to solve it, to come up with ways to, to integrate pop culture and health movements to actually help, you know, to really make it a difference in getting people to better. You can't just tell them to eat better. You have to make it emotional, you have to make it a connection with what's in it for them, but also just make it, make it easy, make it fit into it. And so that's that's what we're that's what we're aiming for. Hi, hi. This was Dr. Sujit Sharma, and I'm Christina, your host. So Dr. Sujit Sharma is a Harvard-trained pediatric ER doctor uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, who is also a CEO at Choose, an innovative food company. He's also a member of the board of directors of Georgia Organics here. I met Dr. Sharma at Forward Food Conference a few months ago where we clicked immediately as I asked away about his passion and food innovation after trying for the first time Choose, this awkwardly delicious, juicy super salad drink. After many conversations with Dr. Sharma, what still stands out the most to me is his dedication, as he says, to under-promise and over-deliver in everything that he does. Dr. Sharma is a powerhouse of knowledge and microbiome, and he's also limitlessly passionate about creating functional solutions for addressing the healthcare crisis in this country. The more I learn, the more respect I have for this knowledgeable, dedicated, passionate, and hip doctor who I now consider a friend. If you have not tried it yet, please check out the website at choose.com to get an idea of what we're talking about um, so you just understand what it, what it kind of looks like. <laughs> but I really hope you enjoy this interview. We talk about the current state of healthcare and childhood obesity. We discuss what constitutes a healthy microbiome and we dive in the story, evolution and the plans for the lifestyle brand that Choose is quickly becoming. Tune in to learn more and follow Choose and Dr. Sarma Sharma on social media. Hope you enjoy. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Follow Your Kind Podcast. And today I am privileged to have as my guest Dr. Sujit Sharma, uh, who is an uh, ER pediatrician and the CEO of the Choose company that we will get into the details in a little bit later. Um, Hi, Dr. Sujit Sharma. Hello, how are you? Good, and I um, I was told that I could call you Sujit. Absolutely. So, correct? Yeah, Perfect. Thank you. So first thing, sir, first, do you know what kind of day it is today? What kind of day it is? Yes, it's a holiday today. Were you aware of that? I had no idea. <laughs> it is International Day of Happiness, actually. Interesting. I wish I'd known. Uh, so I think... I may be mistaken, but I think it is because it's the first day of spring. So in my book, it totally equals International Day of Happiness, but it is an actual holiday, apparently. So and that's it. Well, it's also there's a special moon tonight too. Yes, and right. the reason I'm still wearing my Coca-Cola badge because I was there earlier and I was mm-hmm. teaching a dance class. It was a work WERQ party for the employees there, so nice. it's a dance party. And uh, for those uh, listening, just to give you a setup of our experience here, we're sitting in a chocolate coffee shop. Uh, who kindly let us use their room. I hope we don't get kicked out because it's two of us instead of four, but they're very nice to let us use it. So thank you, Chocolate. And uh, yeah, so let's get into it. I have tons of questions I'd like to ask you. I want to talk about healthcare and uh, what's happening with the trends of 
of health in, in this country in relation to the spendings, but I also want to talk about microbiome. And of course, my favorite topic, I want to talk, learn more about the company and where it's going. So um, let's maybe start with your story. Where are you from? Oh, I'm, I'm from Michigan. I was born and raised in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, how did you always know that you wanted to be a doctor? How did that it's, part come about? Yeah, so it's, it's I think, most... Indian kids growing up in that generation, kind of <laughs> grown up, were being told that they were going to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. So I come from, uh, I have two older sisters and one younger brother. I'm the only one who ended up being a doctor. But that was, my parents never didn't necessarily press that. But I think in our culture, it was just always something that was uh, thought of as something good to do, mm-hmm. valuable, whatever. And so, uh, but I happened to, at least from a young age, yeah, sort of kind of always assumed. I would just be a doctor for some so, reason. My parents are not doctors. They're both college professors. And they were, uh, you know, so they were influenced academically, but yeah, there was no big push. But I just somehow ended up being the one who became a doctor. Yeah. And how did, uh, how did pediatrics, how did you make that choice? Was that an obvious decision for you? Did you stumble into it? No, it's a great question. I don't, I, I can say that, so my mom wanted to be a doctor growing up. Great in sciences, and that's what she kind of pursued. And I, I always look at that was where she was destined to be. If she had, if her parent, if her family was in a position to be able to afford to send her to medical school and, and to do that kind of training, uh, which I think they could, they would have if they could have. But mm-hmm. that was really an option. But I think she would have been a pediatrician. And so during the third year of med school, you know, it just kind of came naturally. At the end of that year, when we had to make our final decision, it just felt like. Pediatrics felt right, mm-hmm. and you know, very it was, it was, you know, close to my mom. She passed away two and a half years ago, but she was, uh, you know, she would have been a pediatrician, and so I always felt like that was sort of a good. It was just something that felt right. Mm-hmm. Felt, so for a lot of reasons. So, I good. love it. Is it true? So it seems to me uh, that some doctors uh, who help adults, they're like, "There's no way I can deal with children," and then. Doctors like you, who practice most, who spend most of their time with children, may be a little bit reluctant or hesitant when have, having to do with adults. Is that how it usually works? Hundred percent true. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. ask anyone who's just in pediatrics. Yeah, for the most part, we all kind of just cringe, thinking the idea. Oh, I'm so glad I don't have to take care of adults. You know. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, it's interesting that way. It's absolutely true. So how did you end up in Atlanta? Uh, sort of. You know, long path. Uh, the uh, after I finished my training, um, I just uh, it seemed right. My wife and I would want to be somewhere warm, mm-hmm. and um, it just I happened. You know, upon sort of the interview with the practice I'm part of still mm-hmm. here. You know, um, since 2001, and uh, it just yeah, it's been it felt right. So it's been great ever since. And then you are uh, an ER, right? So you see emergency cases for children? Yeah, so whatever might bring a child into the emergency room, whether it's fever or coughing or a car accident or uh, what have you, you know, and everything in between um, that brings people to the emergency room. That's what, I, that's what I do. Do you find it rewarding, hard? Heartbreaking, exciting. What are some of the words that come to mind? It's all of the above. Uh, it's it is. Uh, I look, you know, now kind of. I think my 
my view and perspective on it is different now that I have this you know, yeah. 17, 18 years behind me of doing it here in Atlanta. I think there's a lot of value. I go to six hospitals in Metro Atlanta, so including wow. you know Emory and you know, Eggleston and Scottish Rite, which are Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, as well as uh, four uh, Wellstar hospitals through kind of uh, Cobb and Paulding County, Douglasville. Wow. So. I get to see a really interesting mix of Metro Atlanta. There's a lot of different people, and it just, I, I, it's there's some value that I, I take it because you know people put their trust in you, mm -hmm. and um, you know if you want to do right by them, and 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 you know all the time and training, you want to apply it to you know hopefully something of value. Um, and and I, I think now that's what sort of the place where I am with it, and not necessarily seen it that way when I was fresh out of training and practicing. Mm -hmm. That's how I see it now. So through, you've been in practice, you said since 2001? Yeah, so that's when I finished my, my final, my, my subspecialty training and then came here for my first real job. Mm -hmm. So it's 18 years of experience. In this 18 years, and I may be setting you up for a question here, mm -hmm. but what kind of trends are you seeing amongst the the, the cases that you see or in case in in, 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 the, in relation to general health condition of the children that you see um, you know without a doubt uh, it's it's it, it's you know, after with reflecting on it especially it was part of what got me into the whole choose uh, thing and all the as a project is you know, childhood obesity it's just so clear you know that but it, it's, it's something unless we stop and take notice of it it's easy to miss, you mm -hmm. know, but, you know, 18 years ago, 20, 20 years ago, I mean, in general, for the, our society, you know, if you went and bought a medium-sized shirt, um, maybe it's a little bit longer, but it was, it's different, you know, that size medium shirt is different today than it was 20 years ago. You yeah. have to make it bigger. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, the shift is kind of crazy. So for kids, we've seen, um, it's most alarming, is signs of type 2 diabetes in younger and younger kids, so 10-year-olds routinely. That is just, just saying that sounds so long, but I think, you, as you said, we're beginning so, we're getting so used to that and it's getting so normalized now that we're not paying attention. Right, it's very easy, and you know, it's very easy for it to fly under the radar because it's, you're right, it's a slow process of normalization. Mm -hmm. And over that time, we just don't realize it, we just come to accept it. And in the system where we should be alarmed as physicians when we even see those signs, we just, you know, what do we, you know, what do we do? Okay, they follow up with a pediatrician, and uh, but until society takes that seriously, takes and understands it's a problem, we have ability to actually um, develop a system that really can intervene and, and help, uh, you know, make it a mission to to get to really address those problems. You know, then we're, we're not going to get a whole, you know, get far. It's going to take decades and decades. Yeah. And as you said, in the, the, the normalization and the acceptance of it in a society where we have, what, two-thirds of adults now with type 2 diabetes or who are obese, it's, it's so easy to normalize things because you look around and everybody else is doing this and everybody else is looking a certain way. So why, why? You know why? Why single your kid out, or why single yourself out for not doing something right? Yeah. What are the age ranges of the children that you see? Uh, from, you know, 
immediately after birth to you know, 18, 20 years of age. Oh, wow. And then uh, give me some of the, like, the examples of uh, conditions that would, that would not be happening 18 years ago that stood out to you the most. Yeah, the, you know, and some of it's not all definitely confirmed, but, you know, like we definitely see a lot of allergy-based stuff like asthma. Mm-hmm. And there has been a lot of question about whether, you know, how much of it has been provoked by what we eat. And, and you know, I think as a skeptical doctor who wants to really make sure I, when I have time to peruse the research you know, to really confirm. But, you know, that definitely people throwing their, that out there. There's a, ba- a basis for it. But you know, that is, you know, you have to scratch your head. And I was like, why are we, you know, we would think that we're getting better at, at really stabilizing these conditions and, and, and um, minim- decreasing the in- incidence of them. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem like we are. And so you know, we just want to dig into why. So that, you know, that's one thing. You know, we definitely are seeing cases of kids who are um, uh, you know, coming in with you know, hypertension that's more like adult based. We call it essential hypertension, mm-hmm. which adults get, especially associated with conditions like obesity. And um, so, you know, that's something that's kind of new, you know, still and kind of popping up. Um, and, you know, conditions that, you know, are related to weight and traumas and accidents where kids are falling, you know, and at 10, 11, 12 years of age are, you know, quite obese. You know, that force, the physical force alone from them, just simple traumas, you know, can turn a sprain into a very, you know, to a significant fracture that's, displaced and needs mm-hmm. operative repair. I think these are the kind of things we kind of minimize, but we forget like these are, these are all factors that are associated with a more obese state um, in, in younger and younger populations. And I'm sure probably the, a lot of the inflammation that is happening in the body that's kind of in, in alignment with all of these chronic diseases also is not helping the healing process of whatever the injury is. In right. Of- well, you know, it, it, this is, again, this is an ex- area that we're trying to really understand better. You know, how much influence does the foundation of your health status in the first 10 years of life, how much impact does that have later on? We don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, I can't say... I mean, I would imagine, yes, because when it comes to the term inflammation, people react to that right away, oh, inflammation is bad. But, um, you know, it's a natural process um, that is part of your immunity and how you heal, which is normal, but it can go awry when, you know, your foundation of the things that help to, you know, to actually, that cause inflammation or part of the inflammatory process from beginning to end, a whole cascade of events. You know, they are, um, we know, yes, they can be provoked by certain general lifestyle conditions. And especially now, as we learn about the microbiome, it is something that we're evolving our understanding of. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll be able to really, I think, be able to learn, understand a bit more. Is, it, is that true? You know, how much is, you know, being a pro, more pro-inflammatory state, even in your first 10 years of life, how much impact does that have on your health? I think we'll learn, we'll know more in the next five to ten years. Right, and I definitely want to get more in the detail in the microbiome discussion, but I want to just spend a few more minutes on in, in terms of pediatrics. So I'm curious, in your experience, since you work in an emergency department, so you you see children, let's say for I don't know for a broken leg, or but you're you're noticing there are other things that maybe there is like a 
chronic condition or there is a prediabetes or anything that that's not an immediate issue but needs help mm -hmm. is there any anything that you are able to do or refer the parents to or just suggest any kind of lifestyle changes or that that the parents or children can make yeah in, you know at, at children's we have a, a, an excellent you know, strong for life program mm -hmm. that is committed to that and so from you know, from there, we have a place to kind of do, you know, refer. But in general, it starts with sometimes I had a colleague yesterday, you know, who um, really decided to bring this up with a parent about sort of the health status because she had noticed all these recurrent visits that the, the child was having and took some extra time to really to ask them about nutrition, their sense, you know, idea of nutrition and diet and how to help. And they were extraordinarily appreciative, you know, of the time that she took to actually, mm -hmm. and no one had before, really. Not that the pediatricians don't, but, you know, we're all, everyone, everyone's busy, and, and so right. some people, it, it's, it's, again, it's not easy, but it's, that's a start where we can, sometimes people look, but unfortunately, once they leave the influence of the doctor's office or the hospital or wherever they are, they are quickly re-immersed into a society that ever a you know a day-to-day -day immersion in the opposite messages that either confuse people as to uh, understanding nutrition or just or are really promoting the uh, an emotionally incorrect decision mm -hmm. that is probably is not in their best interest give me an example of emotional incorrect decision I think associating happiness with consuming a $4 meal at, and you know, there's a direct, the visual has a, there's a dopamine response we get when we smell, when we see, when we, you know, hear, you know, the crinkling of the bag of potato chips. Mm -hmm. They're designed to be, to sound a certain way, right? I mean, it's Pavlovian, we get this response from it. So, you know, people associate happiness. If you look at the ads, um, you know, and, and, and what the people who are purchasing these things, what they look like, you know, necessarily, it does not necessarily reflect the consumer who's like, you know, who is going and getting that, you know, two fried sandwiches and, mm -hmm. and the tater tots and the sweet tea. And, you know, it is, uh, it's interesting. It'd be interesting to see, like, you know, it's just, it, it, it's, but people see it in their mind, it's kind of unconscious. It's like, oh, I want to be happy and I had a hard day. And that makes me happy, and that person's happy in the ad, and they look happy and healthy. Absolutely, yeah. The advertisement, and advertisement to children specifically, is just it, it drives me crazy too. And I think on top of that, just also being mindful of the fact that big, a lot of big food corporations they specifically hire the people and they buy the equipment that is like scans the the brain activity, so that to design the product that is specifically made to fire up to the to the extreme your your brain patterns and cause that effect of ha perceived happiness like we are being manipulated yeah that is how the, the food technology how, how food industry works in a lot of ways nowadays. yeah and you know I, I you know I'm not trying to point a finger at the food industry that it's we have a we have a market that is very deregulated in terms of allowing you know, companies to, you know, to, you know, you just kind of put it in the hand of the company. You should know, you know these are the basic guidelines of what you can and can't say. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
you know, then we also say then, well, you know, well, it doesn't matter what they promote. The person should know better if it's not something they should eat. And it's personal responsibility. And so that becomes sort of an ideological uh, sort of uh, battleground. Because people who want to be, as you know, tend to be more the conservative in value say, well, people should just know better. And, you know, it's, on the other side, people are saying, no, you, you, they shouldn't be allowed to kind of promote and make this look so normal. And it's hard because, yes, personal responsibility is important, but it's not... It's, if anything we should understand as human beings over the last 30, 40, 50 years, we should know that that our imperfection as human beings is what helps these markets grow. In 500,000, you know, it used to be for cigarettes and tobacco 50 years ago, a million people died every year from tobacco-related causes. And until we started rejecting the normalcy of, you know, of, of, of being anywhere, indoors or outdoors, and smoking, you know, if you want to smoke in the plane, you have to sit in the back. You know, I mean, can you imagine, you know, like today? It's just, it's, it is, that's, that's culture change. And yeah. culture changes. The, it, huge swings happen over a few decades. A few decades is relatively not that long, especially when you consider just the shift in that culture. And um, so that is, that changes. So now, you know, that's just an argument right there that, Hey, once we change those guidelines, it helped lead to a fact that only half a million people die a year compared to a million. That's still yeah. horrible. But that's culture and civilization as it tries to move forward. These are the these you have to look at these some of these moves in decades. And so for food, it's it's the same thing. We have to, you know, if we can acknowledge that that imperfection flaw we have internally as human beings um, is what companies prey on, regardless of what they sell. They just want to sell more of it. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem for us as a culture. It's not just you know, food companies and to say that they're trying to kill us, you know. I think that's a bit, um, you know, a bit over the top to just, you know, we had to look for solutions. And the solutions are stemming, kind of accepting, yes, that they're in it for make money. That's our model. It's fine, but how do we come up with solutions to this problem right. of, of being imperfect beings? Mm -hmm. Instead of villainizing. No, I agree with you. I just think it's interesting. You make such a good point. So there is, you know, there there's not a whole lot of re regulation, let's say, in the food industry. So we have a lot more responsibility of making choices, uh, lays on the consumer, right? And then so it becomes more personal. But then I feel like there's also the same in terms of healthcare. A lot of choices really fall on us because it's not really provided to us, right? The system is far, far away from guaranteeing any kind of health care to, to people in America. And here we are, we end up in this huge gap between, two, between the two, having all this personal responsibility, being, I would say, poorly educated in the nutrition, and then also knowing the fact that we are predictably irrational, right, with our, the behavioral science, what, what the, is being found out more and more every day, that we really have much less choice in our decision that we really think. A lot of that is driven by subconscious, by culture, by growing up, by advertising, as you mentioned. So we really find ourselves in the pickle yeah. <laughs> with yeah. this much responsibility and no tools to really take on that responsibility. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, so how did the health component come into picture for you? So that's you know interesting. That crosses right over into that. Um, I was just thinking about that. You know, I think 
as I've thought through these things, um, you know, we make decisions um, based on cultural norms. We make, you know, how we decide what we, how we consume things in general. Um, products, you know, how to make services. We, this, those decisions on how to do that, how to consume, is, is based on culture and on social standards. What is socially acceptable to do? Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, you know, I grew up in Michigan um, in, you know, the mid-70s. Uh, you know, we had this big Dodge station wagon, and so there's four of us kids, and my parents, we were on a road trip, and if it's not raining, my dad would open the window when he smoked a cigarette, you know. Um, if it was raining, tough luck for everybody, you know. <laughs> and there were no seatbelts in the car. He cut them out. They found them to be a nuisance. And so, you know, it, that's, you know, it's culture change. But it was acceptable then, not so acceptable now. Because social services would be called immediately if <laughs> anyone saw my dad driving down the car in this, you know, tank. This With a cigarette and those wagon. Yeah, and the it. kids jumping around, you know, back to front and mm-hmm. everything like that. Um, it, it was, uh, yeah, it, but so... Social acceptability is what drives how we make decisions. And in healthcare, we are currently doing, you know, we spend more than $3 trillion a year, you know, and, and it, is, it is kind of crazy. You know, this is where over, you know, about 10 years ago, I started really kind of pouring more time into studying this and trying to understand it. Um, it comes down to decision making again. You know, it's the Congressional Budget Office in 2008 put out a report that, um, they looked at the, what were the major drivers in healthcare spending. And it's been clear that, you know, advanced technologies and our use of advanced technologies are what completely drives healthcare costs in this country. Mm-hmm. And three or four decades ago, an arms race started when we made the first um, CAT scans and the first digital lab tools. Um, it kind of opened up this window. We revolved, you know, medicine became sort of revolutionized, especially things like CAT scan. Um, and um, it was the mid seventies. And as we as as we grew in the system that we're in today, you know, it's market based, and you know, it is we are a country. It's, 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 it's capitalism, which is fine. You know, this is a, this is the world we live in, but. What I've seen happen to me is just is this idea of irrational consumption. As doctors, we are the gatekeepers for all these tools, and so we it becomes socially acceptable for us to order tests and things and services and medications that you might not need. But it's okay because we equated our our approach philosophically back then was more care is better care, and that's America today. Yeah. You know, we consume things because we can, not because we have to. And that's as much the decision making is parallel there in terms of how we decide to choose a test. You know, I just to click a mouse if I want a patient just to go for a CAT scan. Um, 30, 40 years ago, in the beginning when these tools first came out, people we were, we were a bit more circumspect about like how we apply them because they're kind of new. Now it's just, you know, Every hospital has these tests, and this when I say arms race, everybody raced to go and get these tools in a sense of competition. Now we have so many of these things. You know, this is a failed experiment. 
that somehow we could improve healthcare by having more accessibility and more tools. When people buy these, when hospitals buy them, they have to, they want to use them. Exactly. Yeah. And then you get measured. You get measured by utilization. And then if you don't utilize an instrument to... Well, that's not across the board. You know, it is, it's, it is, you know, I think that idea of hospitals have tried to get, are really getting away from that. And they're trying to. And yes, does that still exist? Sure. You know, but um, that really, to me, would be unethical if, you know, if they really are promoting or no one's pushing me definitely to say like, hey, you're not, you know, I see a lot of patients, you know, um, and, you know, like look at all those numbers, but no one's telling me like, hey, you aren't ordering enough CAT scans. I tend to be on the low side, and we, but we do measure that and it's becoming important to us because with all of this, you know, negative talk in the end, you know, yes, we spend at least a third of what we're spending in healthcare right now is probably unnecessary. You know, that is, we're talking about close to a trillion dollars, right? And it's just, and everyone wants to have their, you know, they blame stuff, right? As to, oh, it's their tort reform system and doctors perfect practice, what we call defensive medicine, which is a, meant to be a practice where you do more because you're worried about getting sued. Mm-hmm. You know, there is some of element of that into, that comes fits it, but not, you know, from the really good research that's been out there, not at, by any means, you know, close to the overall and becoming you know, where that change would, would a change in our legal system would help curtail healthcare costs. And others say it's doctors want to make more, and, and there's greed comes into play. It's, it's human nature. But overwhelmingly, it's culture as a whole has shifted towards irrational consumption where again, we, we consume because we cannot because we have to, and whether it's a test or whether it's the supersized meal yeah. in your fast food restaurant or that bag, shiny bag of donuts or pastries that you decide to have for lunch. And they kind of, kind of it almost seems you know, practical, like the way they're packaged. You know, it's like, you know, three, three of them later, you're like, you know, you're not feeling so good. And it is, it, this is either not a good combination of calories for you. But again, yeah, that's where to me, the parallel has been sort of in healthcare mm-hmm. crossing over into the food world mm-hmm. is this parallel in human behavior, sort of my you know, fascination with culture and, and decision making, and trying to understand it, step back from, you know, from you know, 30,000 foot view and understand how those chain things have changed and what does that mean for our future? Mm-hmm. And how do we come up with solutions to these problems of popular culture? And that's what's been—it's been fascinating, you know, both in food and in healthcare to, to, to kind of think through those things. I love it. So you almost come at it from more the, the larger perspective, like public health, and then more the, the perspective that's more behavioral based versus just getting inspired by I don't know, like improving exercise and diet for yourself first, and then applying it to your patients as well, but you're, it seems like you're interested in a bigger picture and larger. Well, yeah, I, I, I think we have to be honest, you know, like any business or any project you're on, you, know, you want to look at what are the strengths, what are the things that you do well, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever it is you try to achieve, and what is it that you don't do so well. What we haven't really acknowledged in our healthcare system is that we are, we are good, what our strength is, we're good at taking care of people when they're sick or they're injured. And, yeah. and, you know, American healthcare, there's no, you know, it, it, I think better people would feel very comfortable in how advanced we've gotten with that. 
um, because we have, we've used all these tools now, you know, but it's, but in the end, there's accessibility and we can help when people are sick or injured. Um, but as chronic diseases continue to go up, we have to come to acknowledge that we continue to do, have less and less and less impact on people's daily decision making. You know, I wish I could say as a doctor that weren't true, but that's what, as just kind of crossing over the food world and thinking about it from this way from healthcare as well, you know, I'm convinced that this is a subject where if it would be to our advantage to acknowledge that we do not do that well, and, and then step back and figure out how do we do it better, or how do we empower our current healthcare system to rejig itself a bit and become a better broker or collaborator, you know, parts of our healthcare. How do we innovate new ways to get people to help with their decision? It's not just education. We have to compete with social media and influencers and, and billions and billions and billions of dollars that are spent by companies that do affect your lifestyle, mostly food, but other things as well, to, uh, to help and to kind of promote, you could even make the wrong decision. Right. And so we have to, we just have to, you know, this is going to take decades, but I think we have to come up, we have to come up with better ways and look at the data and truly see, are we making a difference? Um, and if, if not, why? What can we do better? We can just, we can just problem solve it. So is choose your way of bringing that innovative um, solution to the problem that you just identified? Absolutely, yeah. This, you know, yeah, I, I, went, I was a skeptic um, when I was first introduced to the product with very little background in, in nutrition and, and not, you know, again, I, I came as, as a doctor who kind of just assumed he knew a lot about health. Okay. And, um, as I started to listen more and realized how much I had to learn, and then it kind of, you know, the, what I I do like to kind of always step back and look at the larger picture, and, and when when I try to do this kind of research and digging in, and um, to any topic, I, I I do like to say, you know, how do I how does it because that's just for me. I've always liked this because I was always a slow reader growing up. But I wanted to always kind of take be able to how to look at how do you step back and look from above and and then work your way back in to understand the, the big picture of what's going on and then how, and then understand the little bits and pieces okay. as, as a continuum. And um, when I started to say, I, I really I became excited because I, I realized that my friend had created a product that did actually address what uh, was missing in society Yet nobody realizes. I mean, like no one's talking about. I mean, take that back. I mean, obviously, healthcare institutions and, and organizations are talking about it. You know, in terms of fiber, okay. and um, you know, probably the most important nutrient missing in the American diet. You know, this is a you know, this Institute of Medicine. You know, one of the most respected bodies um, in, in the health sciences. Uh, you know, saying this is a this is a public health concern is the lack of the, the, the uh, sort of the lack of fiber in the average American diet. Ninety five percent of Americans don't eat enough. Right, fiber. and I think it's crazy that everybody talks. Everybody's so worried about protein, but nobody talks about how ninety five percent or ninety seven percent of Americans are fiber deficient. Okay, so before we get too far into it, let's explain what Chu says. So I'm gonna try, and you're gonna correct me. 
Okay. Uh, if I do it wrong, but I love it. So I tried the product a few times, and we were just talking about it. I actually got to sample it. I think no, I sampled it first when I met you at the Forward Food Conference. But then I, I, the second time I got to have it was when we recorded the podcast with Dr. Burquist. And it was a few days or a day before I ran my first marathon. So on the record, I claim my results of the marathon to the fact that I had a few of these on my way to Charleston, South Carolina. So basically what it is, so it's called Choose, and uh, it's um, a combination of uh, a juice and a salad that is very refreshing. Um, it doesn't have dressing in it. It almost like somebody chopped up a salad, but put it into a fruity, juicy dressing, I guess, that is not dressing, but juice. And uh, there are two flavors that I know of. There is the, the, the beet one, the heartbeat, and what's the green one, the kale? Evergreen. Something? Evergreen. Mm -hmm. Both of them are really great, but I had the beet one before I ran the marathon because I know beets uh, help you better produce or, or uh, what is it, absorb or uh, absorb the oxygen, right? Do so with nitric, nitric oxide, yeah. Nitric oxide, okay, yeah. So uh, it has tons of fiber. It, because it's chewable juice, you don't, you still have to chew it, right? So it, it helps release the, the, the digestive enzymes as well. Um, it, you don't lose any of the fiber because it does have the chewable components, it's not just juiced vegetables. It also has of your, all of your nuts and seeds in it, so you get all the healthy fats, and it's a whole food, plant-based, amazing concoction that is awkwardly tasty. Awkwardly delicious. Awkwardly delicious. Okay, how did I do? That, great. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And for the first time today, uh, you gave me an idea. Well, we sampled it before, so we had it over granola which I thought was a crazy idea, but it actually is really, really good. And it, it, to me, it reminded like an, an acai bowl, uh, but think like when you, you know, when you sprinkle it with granola, but think like a little bit more granola, a little bit less acai, and some dish added like seeds, nuts and seeds, and some added vegetables. So it was really, really good. I didn't expect it to be good, but it was really, really good. I'm glad you liked it. It, it is, it's, it's interesting. Awkwardly delicious is a great way to describe this. This is a juicy super salad. If you had... You know, the problem with juice is that they take the liquid out and they leave a lot of the important nutrients, especially fiber, behind. Mm -hmm. In the architecture of plants, they have, you know, their contents are, you know, they are built to survive the environment of Earth. You know, they've been around mm -hmm. for a billion, a billion years on this planet before we have you know, plants, before we came around. And um, so oh, through evolution, they developed the through their architecture, the you know, structure and integrity that we're able to fight off infection and ultraviolet light. And so, you know, it is important. The whole plant is super important. And choose is two-thirds whole plants. Two-thirds of our ingredients, like you mentioned, are chopped. One-third are juiced. So the most of the leaf, all the nuts and the seeds, all the leafy greens, um, a lot of other fruits and veggies, like the Brussels sprouts and kiwi, um, they're chopped, they're not juiced. Mm -hmm. And when we have our new website up, we'll kind of have a better visual of that so people understand. Like, oh, that's chopped, it's juiced, it's juicy super salad. And you know, if you think of trail mix added in, in a way that's sort of like a little bit kind of in the nuts and the seeds. We have six different seeds and three different types of nuts. And it's really a balanced and perfect meal, or a sm small meal or snack. Um, that you know you can grab and go, and so you can. We when we sing on this on our new website is you know just so you can eat whole more whole plants whenever you choose. 
And this is amazing. Another thing that I find fascinating as well, first of all, it's it's so intentionally designed to have all the components that we need, but sometimes are hard to get because I mean I I love kale, but I often don't have time to sit down and chew on a bowl of kale. Or like salads, I love salads, but sometimes I'm driving or running all over the place all the time. And this just makes it possible for somebody to consume all of your fruits and vegetables and leafy greens and nuts and seeds in a manner that it's still wholesome and still has some chews right. to, to it. Yeah. Right. And like and, and the thing and a lot of the there there are herbs and then there's like cilantro and parsley and chia seeds and cayenne and cinnamon. And like one of my favorite things is like uh, there's so much intentionality as I mentioned. So I know that you said you put kiwis in there, but kiwis also include the skin with them. And often when I get to, to eat the skin, but there's so many nutrients and micronutrients that are in the yeah. skin. So like just little things like that, it just makes me really excited. <laughs> no, I'm glad you get excited about it. It's it's you know yeah, it's nine fruits. That's uh, right, nine veggies, eight fruits, seven herbs, six seeds, three nuts. And a little bit of honey, and that is juice. And it's just so cool. yeah. And there's nothing else added, and um, it is it truly is awkwardly delicious and ridiculously healthy. And uh, you know, yeah, it's changed my life. I love it because I don't eat enough salads. Right. And so we've taken the portability of juice, you know, and solved the problem of what juice lacks, which is fiber and more whole you know, whole plants. Mm-hmm. And um, so we've solved the problem by actually evolving the grab-and-go portability of a juice, but evolving the nutrient density to more of a super salad. That's why it is a juicy super salad. I love it. I think it's a perfect explanation, a juicy super salad. I also love that the language that you're using with plants, the architecture, structure, and integrity, it's so true, but I never thought about it in the beautiful description like that. Thanks. Um, so tell me the story of how did Jews uh, come here? Where where was the idea, and how did you get involved? So yeah, my friend uh, Liddell Hill came up with Jews. Liddell is fifty three years old, and if you look at him today, you know he, you know, a lot of people claim that he does not look a day over thirty. He's just as he's, he's incredible. He's a holistic uh, a trainer and. Um, someone who is just a naturally born innovator in terms of uh, as a chef and somebody who just wanted to t- you know, sort of make a healthier plant-based lifestyle or you know just nutrient-dense lifestyle mm-hmm. adaptable to his life, which is portable, making it easy and making it you know complete nutrition. So over years, um, he kind of studied and tried to figure out, like, how do I you know, put all of the best nutrients together in one place that just makes it easier so I don't have to sacrifice when I'm on the go. And so he, it was for him. He made it for him. Then his clients got interested. What is this weird thing that he's carrying around in this jug that looks like, you know, it's filled with lawn clippings. <laughs> you know, so, um, and it became a business from there. And it's, it's, your, it's a, a typical story. And I, as I mentioned, I went from skeptic, and this is about 11 years ago initially when I was just turning 40, I, uh, Started training with him, and he just, he's a phenomenal trainer. And um, I, he kind of at first, you know, was like was like you know, you know, skeptical of the doctor again when you talk about enzymes and nutrients and things plants give you and how that helps us make 
make us work better. It helps us make uh, help helps us work better, and it all sounded well. But I could still argue with him, you know. Ah, I'm a doctor, but then I kind of quickly, as I did the research and reading, I'm like, wow, there's so much more here, and he's that, and he's right, you know. And so, even before the product um, sort of came into the foreground, I was, I was, I really was, I was humbled by um, the uh, just how much I didn't know, and. Because it was had an interesting culture, as I started becoming more and more intrigued by Chinooks, it just became uh, clear to me I had to be part of this because this is mm. about um, uh, this was an opportunity to try and do something that would be good for humanity, good for culture, good for more people, everyday people to have access to, right. and solve that problem. Because it's very convenient in this country to eat crap. Really, really easy, and we love things that are easy. We love convenience more than mm -hmm. anything, and we have to figure out how to grow and convert the convenience culture that we can we immediately associate with um, uh, with poor health and food that provokes disease. And how do we change that? How can how can this product grow into be part of something that helps to actually to show and innovate? You know, the, the simple return to the wisdom of what we now know, you know, that grandmother was right, that, you know, eat more fruits and vegetables. The science is now there. And um, as it turns out, you know, the science just continues, as the science evolves, um, it continues to catch up. Truce has always been five years ahead of its time when I got involved because it looks weird, you know, it looks in a bottle. In a juice, it looks like a juice bottle, and there's lots of juices on the market that are, you know, kind of promoted to people with a sense of like, oh, it's about health. But everyday people, you know, it, it, it juice is refreshing, and it's not going to solve the problem that most everybody has, which is, you know, again, something eating more whole plants and providing um, a, a diverse array of vitamins and minerals, but more importantly, a diverse array of plant fibers. Um, to our body because now we know in just recently, in the last several years, this has been discovered. It's just how, what, how this microbiome, this bacteria and viruses and fungi that live inside of us, how they kind of coexist with us and have, can have a very positive impact on our health as sort of our co-pilots, or they can have a very negative effect on our health. Um, if we're not, if you know, and we are in a state of dysbiosis, mm -hmm. where our lifestyle, American lifestyle, we know, wreaks havoc on our microbiomes, and um, so this is new science, and we're trying to learn, and we're going to, we're going to continue to learn more and more. But it's clear that fibers and a diverse array of fibers in plants, um, we don't digest fibers; they are non-digestible car you know, carbohydrates, but our, you know, our probiotic bacteria inside of us, they digest. In fact, they, they love it. They love, you know, and they, there's, so, there's different strains of a probiotic bacteria inside of us, and they all have different functions and functionality, you know, in terms of how they work with us and help us, but they all are for different strains of plant fibers. And so, whereas in the past, a lot of people have reported on eating the rainbow of, of fruits and vegetables, which is important, like trying to get at least five to seven different colored mm -hmm. fruits and vegetables, but 
I think a lot of that's always been based on the micronutrients because you're getting by getting all these different colors, you know, getting exposure to the sun for millennia and millennia, and you know, these plants have evolved, but they all have a diverse array of micronutrients, which are micronutrients are vitamins and vitamins and minerals. And so when you talk about the traditionally eating the rainbow, it's to get a diverse array of these vitamins and minerals. You know, why do you need a multivitamin if you can just eat 10 to 15 different types of plants every day? Um, but it turns out that this, this uh, the eating the rainbow is even more poignant than that, because you, nutritionally, because it is it is about that diverse array of fiber you're getting from a diverse array of plants, you know, in their whole state, is actually um, what is tremendously good to help support your microbiome and help it help you. So for those who are not acquainted yet with a notion of microbiome. Uh, can you just give a quick explanation of what it is? And uh, maybe uh, if you care to share a few facts about it that has been uh, discovered in, in the past five to six years, as you said, that there are, there are new that we did not know just a decade ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, this is, it's exciting. So it turns out that, um, it, it, you know, we have, you know, as humans, I think we're made up of 10 trillion cells. And um, it turns out that there are these bacteria that live and coexist inside of us. And if you to count and accumulate all of them, their cells and their genealogy um, outmatches us 10 to 1. So there's 100 million of these. And so it is just incredible that these microorganisms live within us. And if you were to weigh it into an adult person, you know, somewhere in the range of three to five pounds if you were to put them all together. So within our GI system and, um, and our, in our respiratory system, we tend to have these colonies of viruses, bacteria, fungi that, that live in close proximity to the lining, the inner lining of, our, of these respiratory and gastrointestinal tracts, so intestines airway you know we have these we can't see them they're microscopic but they're there and we um, are the, we have the capacity now you know in the last several years with advanced tools in molecular um, biology especially that have allowed us to really understand the relationship and the dynamic you know aspect of it of how they coexist so you know the biggest so you have, so what does it mean? So you have a carpet of bacteria that live in close proximity to the inner lining of your intestine, your intestines. Five pounds yeah. of our weight, if, if not more, and that outnumbers us 10 to 1 in terms of cells, but it's mind-blowing. It is, it I'm is, sorry, is mind-blowing. You know, I know when you think about it, like we're more bacteria than we are human. And so in terms of the genes that we're walking around with in this body we exist inside of, you know, it is, we're more microorganism than, you know, homo sapien. Yeah. So it's, it's, it is, it's fascinating. And then it affects everything from our digestion to our mood to our everything, to our DNA. And then like, and then on top of that, we have to make all of these decisions about food that when we're influenced by advertising and, and other, and the culture. And then like in here, we have this whole body of like a forest of other species that lives within us. Yeah. What's it, what's, what the, the nice thing about it is, in the end, is that um, it returns us back to the sort of 
the wisdom of our ancestors. Well, you know, one as simple as just a couple of generations ago, like just, hey, eat more fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. um, and we all grew up at a time, I, or I grew up at a time, you know, I'm 51, and so I grew up, um, you know, where we definitely, you know, sitting down with an eight-year-old, 10-year-old, eating dinner at home, um, we ate meat, you know, and but we, we tended to have less, smaller portions than what we tend to consume today, more conversation, engaging at the dinner table and not looking at cell phones, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, eating a more fresh fruits and vegetable type dishes along with our main you know, dish, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And um, that was just our nature. And it was a lot more, a lot less processed, um, et cetera. But in the, the big thing in the end is probably ate more fiber then without knowing it than we did, we do now. In the process, culture we live in, it's very much about satiating your desires and movements that are trying to substantiate, you know, with passion that you, know, you have to eat meat and this is why meat's good or you know, food industry or beverage company might say this is why this is actually good you know for you eating something that is processed and not uh, and, and and not containing whole plants and whole fiber so um, and so I know that a lot of the science as you said uh, in, in choose uh, is based on that recent uh, research and what we're finding out about the benefits of fiber and the, the, the new knowledge that we're acquiring about the microbiome. Um, can you speak more about some of the things that are specific to choose and how that translates into your uh, gut health and microbiome health? And I also know that there was a clinical trial that was uh, recently finished uh, with choose, correct? Yeah, so we've you know, done two studies, um, choose to Five years ago or so, we did a, a one at Emory School of Public Health where we had people consuming juice for 14 days in a row, volunteers, and as a lunch. Um, and, um, and we looked at just basic measures for cardiovascular health, and the results were excellent in just a short period of time. Um, but the more recent study we did at Georgia State um, in Dr. Andrew Gewertz's lab, um, he is, Dr. Gewertz, Gewertz is one of the he is an international expert in the microbiome. He's a microbiologist mm -hmm. um, and very well respected and very well published in terms of the original research his team has done in helping to really uh, kind of un sort of bear out to incredible amount of different types of, of research and, and really well-designed studies help to expand our understanding, you know, the scientific community's understanding some of the processes for how our microbiome um, works and how it how it kind of collaborates with us to work better. And so um, uh, we, we did a they have a mouse model where they look at they, they studied on mice who had juice, and this is just a well established process he's had, and we're able to measure you know, things like in stool and uh, the content, you know, the changes in the microbiome and, and some of the um, physiologic changes and be able to look at the content of the stool in terms of the microbiome profile. Mm -hmm. And this is, again, where it becomes really exciting. American lifestyle, as it, what, what the impact it has on your microbiome is now well documented. Immigrants come to this country, and there was a recent study in the, the journal, uh, Cell, which is a, a journal which is just very well regarded. They, um, they look at uh, immigrant populations coming to this country, and 
there's something called microbial diversity. So your microbiome is definitely better prepared to help you if, if there's a diverse array, there's diversity in the strains okay. of your probiotic bacteria that you know live there inside your gut. And as people adopt um, an American lifestyle, then I believe it is, is in as little as six months, there's a loss of microbial diversity as people are here and adopting the American lifestyle in terms That's of the way incredible. they eat. And so um, what we're excited about looking into with CHOOSE and sort of as we continue to go forward, based on what some of the initial results we're seeing in, in, in his lab's work, is that CHOOSE does, um, it appears that not only are there physiologic changes that were positive um, and very good in terms of mice that were on a high-fat diet and as a control and then added juice to it or different types of things. Again, incredibly well-designed um, studies that then you know, show sort of, again, immune response, uh, microbial diversity, and that these are, all these things are positive because okay. juice has such a diverse array of plant fibers as a natural product. Um, and I came across Dr. Gewertz's work, and he was featured in New York Times uh, in January 2018. And um, I just kind of reached out to him, because they, they, they featured two researchers, one in Denmark and one at Georgia State here in Atlanta. Wow. So I reached out to him. It turns out he's one of the leading experts in the microbiome. I explained our product, and until then, they had been using inulin, which is a, a processed chicory root. It's a, it's a prebiotic fiber. And um, I could kind of ascertain from the article in the New York Times that they were that there is this opportunity that if less processed fibers from a diverse array of plants could be something that they would say even they, they found very positive effect with inulin used as a prebiotic fiber in their experiments but it was clear that less processed fibers and more diverse array of plant fibers okay. they would expect to be even better okay. so when I reached out to him he became interested um, that's obviously the nature of our product. We have you know, over 20 uh, plants, you know, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds that are chopped um, and not juiced. And they're whole, so they have the fiber intact. And so uh, he, they ran their first experiment, and now we're looking at ways to look at a larger, much larger human trial where we would have participants having juice and controlled participants having apple juice just at lunchtime, as a, you know, and um, we would uh, then be able to look at stool content and look at the ability for juice to serve as something that can help reset your microbiome uh, by providing the nourishment. Because, you know, taking probiotics is one thing, but if you're not nourishing mm -hmm. your probiotic bacteria with whole plant fibers that are fermentable, then you're not giving them um, really a fighting chance. So we're hoping, you know, again, we don't, we have to confirm it with the research, but it, there's a good basis there now for it based on, again, the science that's come out in the last five years, okay. especially showing that this, um, that, you know, I think this is why I stuck with it for so long. I think Choose has an opportunity to really solve a serious and big problem that exists, and that is driving a lot of disease in this country. Yeah. And there's so much connection between the health of our microbiome and like so many depression, addiction, 
I heard Dr. Michael uh, uh, Klepper speak about the connection to autism and of course the chronic disease, the digestion, I mean just autoimmune health, autoimmune response, so many different things it can affect. So it's just like the, the research is so exciting. But tell me if I'm understanding it correctly. So I see our microbiome uh, in terms of the quantity of bacteria and then the diversity of it. So let's see, let's say a forest, right? So we can have a lot, a lot of the trees, but of the same kind. So that, that may be good, but not necessarily the best. Or we could also have the same forest, but in in instead of having the same kind of trees, we can have all different kinds of plants, right? And that's where we talk about the diversity component. And then we can introduce new plants by, let's say, taking a course of probiotics. But then if we don't water the forest or create the perfect condition for the forest to thrive, they're just going to die off. And that's where, uh, as you say, the proper feeding of our bacteria comes in with prebiotics and healthy fibers and diverse plant-based fibers, such as what Choose provides. Yeah. Yeah, that's a dysbiotic state or dysbiosis is in when you have this bad relationship because you're okay. right, it's a, it's a microscopic forest, you know, jungle, you know, flora okay. and fauna that if you look through the microscope along the lining of your intestine in, you know, just very, very you know, minuscule distance away from that lining, you know, divided by a mucus layer that you know, separates them, there is this microscopic forest that is trying to thrive. Okay that oftentimes looks wilted, I think, you know, that's the dysbiotic state, and that's the American lifestyle. Yeah. You know, influence is, is, you know, I think we all live in a great deal of dysbiosis. So people who are trying to sell you the quick fix, you know, and, and using science to substantiate it, I think, to me, I think it's bullshit. I think it's, it's a, so much of it is like every era we live in, there are people who are gonna try and promote, you know, somewhat of our ignorance of science, to allow, to kind of push people to making decisions, to buy things that are, you know, again, that are being over-promised okay. for that. You know, that's not what we're doing, because if you went to the grocery store and got 10 or 15, 20 different fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, and put it together yourself, that's perfect. That's what we're trying to get you to do. Um, you don't have to buy our product to do that. We've just made it convenient. Right. Just trying to, that's the problem that we're solving for people in this culture. In, in today's culture that we live, mm -hmm. that we all can like, try to get through and try to make better decisions through, is to just make that part easier. Hey, if I, I don't want to think about it, I want to just have something that I can grab that is going to be so good for me, it's going to make up for the three Danishes I ate last night before I went to bed. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was listening um, on my way to, to work. On my way to work today, I was listening to the talk that Dr. David Katz gave was giving for on Virgin Pulse platform, and uh, he was talking about employee wellness and how to kind of create an environment that promotes healthy eating. And uh, he a few years ago, I believe, I think I just got the book this year, but I think it was published a few years uh, ago. Uh, the uh, truth about food, and it's the 745 page like an encyclopedia of, and he has like 10,000 references in that book, all from all different kinds of research. But what he says is the truth about food is very simple. It's all the misinformation and confusion that comes attacking the truth about food is what gets people confused. But the truth is the same as it was back in the days, you know, eat uh, mostly plants and not too much. And it's been said many times before. 
Um, and I think I, I really like the um, the kind of the example that he used from the movie Martian. That like there's a point where the character gets kind of desperate with with his situation, and like when the the viewer thinks he's just going to give up. Uh, Matt Damon's character says, well, I guess I'm just gonna have to science the shit out of it now. And I feel like that's where you're at, you know, you see this huge gap in in the in providing people with healthy yet convenient and easy way of solving the problem of not having access to healthy food. And then you're just sciencing the shit out of it. Well, you know, my friend did it, he already did, the, you know, he did the, the innovative work there in creating it, but um, but also the delivery model, yeah. How to get it to consumer? I think that's a big well, part of it. Well, you know, and that's where we're still, you know, we're in. It's a work in progress because in the end, you know, you have to make a decision when you're a product like this in the health space. Are you a what? It, what are you as a company? Are you a health product, or are you a lifestyle brand? And to us, you know, I would much rather be a lifestyle brand. Um, and, and where so the research, the point is, like I think in the end, the research is in the backdrop, you know, for me to kind of feel good about that part of like I want to, as a doctor, since I want to under promise and over deliver, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to know that, that, that this is, that we have good science on our side. But that's not what we'd want to promote. What I'd rather promote as a pop culture product that can make an impact, I just want it to be cool and popular. You know, and and I think then you know that's that's the tricks we're looking for is and that's how things make an impact in pop culture. You simplify stuff for people, and you you know help them achieve sort of their the emotional state they want to be in. You know, um, and so I want to use the tricks of the Frito Lays of the world in the marketing to but actually promoting a product that actually can make you healthier and live longer. I mean, just you know, whether it's the product or whether it's spending more time in the produce section, mm-hmm. it's the same thing, you know, but not, and, and not limiting it to, you know, people with disposable income who are into smoothies and juices. I think that we're ignoring a whole segment of America that is interested in being healthier, but they just don't have the options and they're stressed. There, you know, these we're all stressed, but yeah. in Middle America right now, we're people who are really stressed and trying to figure out, you know, that they're living paycheck to paycheck, and if if they want something healthier but just don't have the option, then it's just it's horrible. Like I would like for us to be that product that actually paves a way for a new type of eating, a new way of eating, but accessible and popular. In, you know, for everyday people who are going and grabbing a milkshake or a hot or a hot dog uh, for breakfast from Quick Trip, you know, local convenience store, gas station. I think, um, you know, we came up, we invented a lifestyle disease in this country, and I think it's our responsibility to fix it, to solve it, to come up with ways to to integrate pop culture and health movements to actually help, you know, to really make it a difference in getting people to better. You can't just tell them to eat better. You have to make it emotional. You have to make it a connection and what's in it for them, but also just make it make it easy and make it fit into it that they want to be part of. And so that's that's what we're that's what we're aiming for, you know, and building a trying to build a foundation for. It's hard.
and there's no guarantee we'll get there, but that's what we're trying to, that's what we should, you know, to me, it's, I think it's worth going for broke. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that idea. Um, well, I want to be respectful of your time. I know I've taken over an hour and a half of it already, and uh, I just want to commend you for all the work that you do. I think you bring such a, a diverse and wonderful experience to, to the work that you do, being both involved in healthcare and now research and academic research and um, having such a profound understanding of science, but yet having an ability to simplify and package it in easily and accurately delicious um, bottle that is able to deliver that health and I would argue hope as well to people all over this country. This is, this is really, really cool. Um, I'm a proud supporter of the product already. Um, there's a question that I ask usually before I close out the show, but I first wanted to see if there's anything else that you wanted to talk about that we haven't had a chance to discuss. I think we covered a lot. We did. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for, um, all of, for sharing all of the knowledge and experience that you had. Okay, so the name of my podcast is Follow Your Kind. So I usually um, end with a question of what kindness means to people, uh, specifically to my respect, respected guests, and how do you get to follow it in your daily life? So what is, uh, what what is, is kindness for you? What is kindness to me? Um, you know, kindness to me, you know, I think of, uh, I think of, first of all, in the way we treat other people, like what is it, what is our baseline nature at the worst of times, not just in the best of times? To be able to see, you know, how do we, how do we truly feel about other human beings of stress when things around you are not good um, and how you treat other people and you know I think it's a measure it's easy you know everyone wants to live ideally in this ideal fantasy Instagram world where everything looks perfect but people also are interested in just everything being authentic and so that means being authentic means you know being honest about who you are but the kindness part of it is you know to me it's like what is it if you're if you feel good about how that how you treat others, even in times of strain or stress or hardship. I think that says a lot about, in general, that you look good as a whole person, how you look at uh, you know, the, the kindness to think about what is your state towards others. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for your time. Thank I really you. I really appreciate it. it. Everybody go order some juice, but I'll include all the information.